Father in heaven, we come to you on bended knee tonight, thanking you for the blessings that we've received this past week. And Lord, we do pray in this moment of time, again, as, as our dear sister prayed earlier, that we would center our minds on you for a moment tonight. Lord, we've had bus- a busy week, most of us, and our minds are racing, our hearts are racing, and we need to come into your rest for a short while tonight. So we pray, Lord, that you would send your Spirit upon us to cause us to have peace, that our minds would be still, that we might hear your voice speak to us in a very powerful way. Bless us as we go into this message tonight, and may we receive a blessing that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I want to talk about God's first promise. I want to ask you a question to start. Have you ever made a promise? Nobody said anything. Come on, work with me a little bit here. Have you ever made a promise you did not keep? Thank you for being honest. Now, have you ever made a promise to God that you didn't keep? I think we could all say that. You know, God has made promises also. And unlike human beings, God always keeps His promises. Of course, some of His promises are conditional upon human choice. If humans comply and meet the conditions, God will fulfill the promise in in a lot of cases. But as I said, God always keeps His promise. And in the Bible, some experts estimate that there are over 3,000 promises in the Bible. I've heard different numbers through the years, but the, the, the figure that I can rest upon is something around the neighborhood of 3,000 promises in the Bible. Now, what I want to do is I want to go to the, the text found in 2 Peter just for a moment. So, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Peter. And I want to start there in the first chapter of 2 Peter. I want to read the first four verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be unpacking the subject of God's first promise tonight. And Peter talks about the promises of God in this passage of Scripture, beginning there in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1. He begins that text by saying, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have, have obtained like precious faith with, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now this is a very important passage because here Peter says, basically that he is called by God to be an apostle through the righteousness of Christ. And then he tells us, Right there, beginning in verses 3 and 4, that unto us are given exceeding precious promises from God. And through these promises, 
we can be partakers of God's character, the divine nature, and through that power that comes along with God's nature, we can actually escape the sinful pull of this world. Now that is a tremendous promise because many times Christians stop at the forgiveness of God and omit the power that God gives the individual Christian in the daily walk with God. But Peter says here that if we believe and ingest the promises of God, friends, then we are going to partake of the character of God and live the very life of God. And Christ is not the minister of sin, friends. And so we can see, and we're going to come back to this in a minute when we look at God's first promise. But Peter says right there that that we have many, many precious promises from God that are great. In fact, he uses the phrase exceeding great. When I think of my favorite promises in the Bible, many texts come to mind. And I'm going to share those with you in a minute. But I would like to just take a moment to maybe take some hands from some of you. If you'd like to raise your hand and just briefly read a favorite promise to our group here tonight. Does anyone have a promise they would like to read just briefly? We have some microphones here. Someone please step up to the mic. Who has a promise? Oh, they're up here? Okay. Green and blue. Okay, does anyone have a promise they'd like to read? Come on, someone break the ice, please. Okay, our brother in the back. Okay, and we'll get our sister here. Please don't preach a sermon. Just, just read your promise, okay? Um, but I just want to open it up so that you can share what's on your heart as far as a promise. Go ahead, my brother. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a precious promise, isn't it, my friend? Thank you very much. Yes, our sister right here in the brown. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. Amen. Amen. That's a powerful one. Anyone else? Yes, sir, right here in the front. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Mm-hmm. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So God promises us a new heart. Amen. Okay, anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, okay, finally, hands are starting to go up. Okay, yeah, the gentleman right here in the white, and then we'll get this gentleman down here. Okay, this is Psalms. 37 verses 23 and 24 okay the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and he delighteth in his way though he fall he shall not be utterly cast down for the lord upholdeth him with his hand amen that's a powerful okay yes this gentleman right here raise your hand if you would and then i think we have a gentleman back here okay revelation 3 21 to him that overcometh will i grant to sit with me in my throne even as i also overcame and I'm set down with my Father in His throne. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, okay. Maybe we can get over here and then we'll get this gentleman. Go ahead, sir. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Amen. Amen. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Okay. Okay, we have a couple more. Um, let me, we've got two people over here and then we've got our sister right here. Okay. Go ahead, right back here. Hebrews 6, 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Okay. Very good. Yes, we have a gentleman right here. 
Isaiah 41 verse 10 Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Very good. Okay, are there any over on this side? Because we're, we're kind of lopsided here. Okay, right here. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I guess we broke the ice. We have hands coming up everywhere. Go ahead, sister. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Okay. Yes, sister right here. She's been patient with us. John 14:3 and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that there that where I am there you may be also Very good. Amen. Okay. Right here in the front. Okay, we got got a gentleman in the back and then we'll get you right in the front. Okay, go ahead sir. 1 John 5:4 and 5 mm-hmm. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith. And he who ha- and who is he that overcomes the world, but who believes in Jesus as the Son of God? Amen. Thank you. Okay. Joshua 1, nine. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. Amen. Praise God. Okay, time for a couple more, because I can see that we're, the bashfulness has gone away here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Romans 8.28. Mm, yes. For we know that all things that work together for good to... To them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Amen. Okay, we have time for a couple more. I actually want to try to develop this thought a little bit more. So, Okay, we have a couple more that we'd like to say. Um, okay, well, let's try to get someone that hasn't. Go ahead, right here. Uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very good, okay. Time for one more. Who wants to be who wants to be the crowning act here? Okay, right here, sir. Okay. John fifteen seven. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Amen. Praise God. Listen, I these, these promises are powerful, aren't they? And I appreciate you contributing to verse 31, and then I want to move on to the actual subject of God's first promise. This is one of my favorite promises in God's Word. Romans 8, beginning there in verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. The Bible says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, 
or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I really enjoy that. That promise really resonates with me. And I have some close favorites. Isaiah 26.3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Another favorite is John 16.33, where Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I mean, just some incredible promises, and there are probably many others. But what I'd like to do tonight, just for a moment, is I want to look at God's first promise. And I believe that this is the greatest promise that God gives in the Bible. And it's down there back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. God's first promise. Let's look at Genesis, chapter 3. And as you probably figured out, it's in verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And there is a very, very, very powerful message in this promise. And I hope to spend the remainder of our meeting tonight developing at least a little bit this whole concept of what God meant by this promise. This will certainly in no way be exhaustive, but I hope to bring out some points that hopefully will help you in your Christian experience. Genesis 3.15, and of course, this is after the entrance of sin, right? Adam and Eve have fallen. They've uh, fallen to the temptation of Satan, uh, going through the medium of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and God comes to them and holds them accountable for their sin, and He basically issues the curse, so to speak. But notice, even in the midst of the curse, He gives a promise right there in verse 15. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, of course, he's talking to the serpent, right? He's cursing the serpent, which of course is the devil, using the medium of the serpent. But notice right here, God promises to put enmity between the serpent and the woman, and between the the offspring of both. And notice that God says that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent even though the serpent will bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman. Now, what does this mean? I want to take a moment to exegete some of the terms in this text. I find it very interesting that the first three words, in fact, the first four words, are, and I will put. Isn't it interesting that God starts this promise by saying, I will put. God is the very being that is putting this enmity. This enmity is a supernatural work by God. And we can unpack this text and and, and understand salvation through this text. And of course, this text talks about salvation and the promise of Christ. But notice it's a divine act. There's nothing human about salvation except that we allow divinity to save us. Are you with me? The only human contribution to salvation is us yielding to the the salvation of God. 
Now, notice he says, I will put what? Enmity. Now, what is enmity? It's hatred. And, and if you look at the original word, it implies a rivalry. An intense rivalry where both sides hate the other to their very being. Now, when we think of earthly and worldly examples of this, we think of quite often sports rivalries. And I'm certainly not here to endorse competitive sports, but when you look at, at the rivalries, you can see like the Red Sox and the Yankees, and, and you, know, you can see other rivalries. In fact, back in North Carolina, there's a big Duke-North Carolina rivalry. I'm learning that being a North Carolinian now. But we can see how even through some of these worldly examples, there are intense rivalries out there, and it's the same thing with God and the devil. And God promises to put enmity in the hearts of God's believers. But you know what? What's interesting is this text is actually a foreshadow of the coming of the Messiah. Because that seed of the woman, and of course the woman is Eve, but you know a woman also symbolizes what? A church, right? And the seed of the woman would, of course, in one sense, be the Lord Jesus Christ. How one day God would promise that Jesus would come to contest the authority of Satan. Satan took and stole this world by usurpation, and Jesus would come to wrestle it back from him. And so God promises the coming of Jesus in this text. And even though the serpent would bruise the heel of Christ through his crucifixion temporarily, Jesus, through that crucifixion, would ultimately crush his head and defeat him completely. That's a powerful promise on how Jesus would come to die. And in essence, doing that, crush the head of the serpent. God's first promise foretold the surety of Christ's death. Yet, going a step further, it also illustrates another beautiful truth. Because that enmity is not just a foreshadowing of Christ's coming, it's also a promise that God would put enmity in us. In other words, through supernatural conversion, God would implant an enmity against the devil inside of us. He would enable us through divine power to be able to resist the wiles of the devil. And I call that a measure of faith. I know we looked, I believe it was last night when we discussed the universal cross. We talked about in Romans 12 verse 3 how God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. And there are different ways to look at that measure of faith. But one way is that God has given a faith potential to every human being. And in that faith potential, if the human agent chooses to exercise faith, that divine enmity is implanted supernaturally by God, and man is then placed upon vantage ground in the battle against the devil. In other words, God promises uh, to put in a hatred in the heart of that human agent who surrenders so that they will learn to hate sin and love righteousness, whereas before it was the opposite. You see, at the fall, uh, well, prior to the fall, Man, I believe, had a dual nature. And, and you could probably, you know, we could probably dialogue about this some more. But in my simple way of thinking, I believe that, that man had a dual nature prior to the fall. And I believe that, that, that part of that nature consisted of the higher powers. Reason, conscience, judgment, discernment, willpower, if you will, through cooperation with divine power. 
And then he also had a lower nature, which consisted of appetites and passions and emotions and feelings. And and how before the fall, the higher powers held sway and sanctified the lower powers as he was remaining faithful to God, of course. Right. But then through the fall, in my estimation, I believe that those roles swapped. And the higher powers then became weakened to a point where the lower powers overpowered them. And therefore, a sinful nature, based on the lower nature, held sway. And that made it necessary for God to be able to implant this divine enmity, because what it does is it restores to vantage ground the higher nature through Christ. So that the higher nature then becomes supernaturally empowered to be able to keep the Christian in the path of righteousness through a constant surrender to Christ. Friends, what we need to realize about this promise is not only does it promise the coming of Jesus to contest the power of Satan, this promise tells us that through Jesus and through his converting power, we can have enmity from God to learn to hate sin and live a life of victory and not just receive forgiveness, but receive divine power to be a partaker of the divine nature, as Peter says. And through that power, we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Meaning, through Christ's power, we can learn to live above the pull of sin. And that doesn't mean the old man totally dies at conversion. I mean, we're going to be wrestling with that nature until Jesus comes. But certainly, we are placed on vantage ground so that through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we do not have to fall to temptation. God promises, another tremendous promise in the Bible, God promises us to never allow us to be tempted above our capacity to resist. It's almost as if God sizes up every temptation across his desk and says, okay, uh, Mark needs to be tested in this area, and so we're going to size this up. That's a little strong, so let me, let me carve this down a little bit. Okay, now, right there. And then he allows it to come upon us to test us. And I, and I don't believe God tempts us, but I do believe God has a right to test our faith, to see what we're made of. And certainly through the power of Jesus in us, we can be kept by the power of God. Do you believe that? Why don't we hear messages like this more? Friends, the reality is, is we live in such a sinful world, we need power. But you know what? We almost never hear people talk about that anymore. It's almost like people are preaching a defeated Christ. Jesus forgives us. Yes, but you know what? Jesus also empowers us. Now, I will be honest with you. I'm cut from a conservative Adventist cloth. All right? I consider myself a traditional Seventh-day Adventist, you know. I'd rather die than sin, you know, and all that. But you know what, friends? What really bothers me about conservative messages is they preach victory. you got to have victory. you gotta, you got to be victorious in Jesus. But you know what? You never are ever almost told how to do it. Now, let's face it. We have all the fullness of God at our fingertips. But why is it that we seem to fail constantly in the Christian life? You ever thought about that? It seems like the harder we try, the more we fail. I'm going to grip my teeth, and I'm going to give it the old college try, and I'm going to squeeze and flex and and, and do all that stuff, but then it seems like I fall more and more. Why is that, friends? Because we're trying to do it in human power. We have not yet learned that the only thing that we can do is choose to yield. If we want Christ in us the hope of glory, we must make a decision 
to allow God to have all of us. If we give God all of us with an undivided heart, we will receive that enmity. And of course, you know, then you come into the area of sanctification, which is Christian growth, the, the work of a lifetime. I mean, certainly we're not going to, you know, be able to, I mean, when, I, when, when babies are born, they can't run a marathon, right? They have to learn to crawl and walk, etc. And it's the same thing in the Christian walk. But certainly at every stage of growth, we can be fully surrendered to the revealed will of God in our lives. Because I believe that God... Even though God's will is absolute and even though truth is absolute, I believe that God is progressive in the way he unfolds it to us. He gives us as much as we can handle as we grow. And in the Christian walk, friends, he reveals a few things to us. We surrender those things and then he reveals more to us and we surrender those things so that at every stage of growth we can be surrendered to Christ. But, but friends, what we need to realize though is that sin need not have dominion over us. The reason why I believe we are still here on this earth. And you may say, well, God has a timetable. And that's probably partially true. But the reason why Jesus hasn't come yet is because I believe that his people have not yet learned to tap in to the unlimited power that God offers surrendered Christians. And, you know, when you look at the concept of John the Baptist, John... Remember John in John 3, John said, you know, he must, increase, he, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, it's almost like that with us. You know, what we need to learn is that when we walk with God every day, each and every day, we become less and less and he becomes more and more. But you know what? In many cases, it's the opposite. Over time, we increase and Jesus decreases. And by the way, if you read that text in John 3, John ends that passage by saying that God gives the Spirit without measure to Christ. Because Christ was so fully surrendered to His, surrendered to his Father that, that the, when people saw Him, they saw the Father living through Him. And what we need, friends, I mean, probably a majority of us in here are Seventh-day Adventists. Is that a fair statement? Okay, we got one amen. I'm just checking. But, but listen, I mean, we, God has given us a tremendous message. Right, But what's going to give that message power to impact lives is when people learn to live the life of Jesus, which is a life of constant surrender. And I believe that God promised this, and, and this all ties into this enmity, friends. God implanting a supernatural hatred for sin to the point where we want to surrender all to Jesus through the exercise of our choice. God's first promise guarantees man power to overcome through Christ. And by the way, this power will be especially seen in the remnant church. Now, if you jump down to Revelation, just a quick parallel text here. And this is kind of an interesting verse because there's a lot of shadows to Genesis 3.15 in this text. Revelation 12.17, we all probably know this, this text. Gen uh, Revelation 12, 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Right? There's that parallel to enmity, that wrath. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. There's the victory. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we can 
talk about the testimony of Jesus and mention the spirit of prophecy and these applications, and those are true. But, but remember also that this, this remnant will bear the testimony of Jesus in their lives. They will live like Christ, and they will keep God's commandments, which is a life of victory. Because sin is the transgression of the law, and if you keep the law, you're not sinning against God. You see, and this group will be empowered to be obedient to Christ so that the trend of their lives is on the upward step to heaven. But friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, I, listen, I have not arrived. I mean, I, I don't claim perfection, and that's a taboo word in, in our circle anyway. But friends, our perfection only comes through Christ, but it comes through an absolute surrender, a total surrender. And that's kind of what I've tried to emphasize this, this, this whole week is, is, is harnessing the power of choice. Because the one gift that God has given us is that freedom to choose. That's the kingly power in the nature of man. The power of decision. And I think the reason why we don't have more victories in our lives is because we're not learning to choose to have victory. We're not learning to yield in the moment by choosing to allow God to have full control of us. And if we can somehow understand that, I think we would see our victories increase and our defeats decrease. But we need more victories in our lives, friends. I mean, we're facing things. You know, I went to school in the 80s. And, and, and you know, the temptations that I faced in junior high school and, 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 and in high school, of course, I was educated in the public school system, are, are nothing compared to the evils that our youth are facing today. And, and I'm amazed at how much evil there is and how much evil has increased even since I was a youth. And so what I'm trying to say is that we live in a day when we need to have power in this world. But a lot of times we're taken away by worldly influences. But what we need to do is we need to learn how to break the cycle of failure in our lives. We need to learn how to use our choice to develop habits of victory. We don't have the power to resist evil in and of ourselves, but again, we do have the power of choice. And if we draw nigh to God through our choice, God will draw nigh to us and empower us. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you are failing repeatedly in certain areas in your life, just learn that you can make a decision each and every day to ask God to help you. You might wake up one day and say, you know what, Lord, I don't know what the future holds tomorrow. But I've been struggling in a particular area and I need victory. I choose today to allow you to help me. And then if you do that each and every day, friends, sooner or later, God will take you to the next threshold. But sometimes, you know, we don't have victory because we don't persevere long enough either. Sometimes we give up too quickly. But again, we must learn to fight the good fight of faith. And surrender ourselves to God. Because God's first promise guarantees us that He will put divine enmity within us. Again, old habits die hard sometimes. But they can die if we choose to constantly surrender to Christ. God desires to give us divine enmity to break the cycle of failures in our Christian lives. If we choose, divine enmity can make us different. If we choose, divine enmity can make us change. We must remember that change in us is the greatest testimony to the power of the gospel. 
Friends, listen. The gospel makes us into something different than we once were. And we need that life-changing power in our lives. Because again, that's the greatest testimony to others that Jesus is working with us. And I hope and pray that you will understand tonight that you need not fail in your Christian experience. You can get through and have power over those sins that easily beset you on a daily basis. Because the gospel is power. The gospel is power. In fact, in Romans 1, that word for power is dunamis, which is dynamite. It's that same word for dynamite, which is explosive power to live Jesus' life. Jesus is waiting and longing for a people that will reflect him fully. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the fellowship of the mystery, as Paul talks about in Colossians 1. The fellowship of the mystery that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so whenever I preach to conservatives, I tell them, I said, look, don't sit there and tell me that I need to have victory when you don't show me how. Talk about how practically I can learn to cooperate with God so that I can have victory in my life. So I can treat my wife like the jewel that she is. And I can raise my children uh, with a godly influence. I mean, I'll tell you what, right now, when my wife and I had kids, Mercy, you want to talk about a full-length mirror? I mean, good night. When I saw my kids start to grow and start to develop their character traits, I thought, mercy sakes alive, I've got to pray, not just for them, but for me. Because our children inherit our genetics, and in many cases, tenfold, they're magnified, you know? Pray for us, parents, right? But friends, I so desperately want my kids to be followers of Jesus and to reflect Jesus fully. But I know that starts with me as an example because they're going to follow and do what I do. So pray for me that I would be a good example. But friends, I, I know I'm all over the place tonight. You know, my, my homiletics professors always used to tell me, look, your sermons should be a rifle shot and not a buckshot, right? You know, problem with too many sermons today is they're buckshots with, 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 you know, BBs flying everywhere, and there's not one bullet right down the center. Well, my bullet tonight is, is that God can give you victory because of that first promise He promises to put enmity in your heart if you will surrender to him. Remember, Jesus came to conquer the devil, and Jesus lived a totally victorious life. And I appreciate so much restorations. What's that theme you guys have? Uh, Restoring the image of God in man? Isn't that the the restoration theme, right? Well, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to replicate his life in the followers of, of him, in his followers, all right? And so that means that Jesus wants to live out his life through us, and the only way he can do that is if we yield and allow him to implant that divine enmity in our hearts. Some people say that people can never change, but this is not true. Through God's first promise, those who surrender their wills to Christ constantly can change. We can be different. If I can change, friends, That means you can change. In fact, you know, I grew up with uh, two men, two two guys back in my hometown in Maine who um, one guy, i got to be careful because this is going on the internet. He may listen to this. But one guy, he was a very close friend of mine. And for whatever reason, he had an alcohol problem. And whenever he would drink, he would get really nasty, get very sarcastic and almost bullyish. And I can remember we kind of had a love-hate relationship as best friends growing up. And, 
And there were times when he would be very nice, and there were other times when he would be just so hateful. And I, w- I would always dread when the weekends came because I wasn't really a Christian, and I w- we would go to parties, and he would become so out of control at times. And, and I can remember when we went to college, we roomed together, and we were about to you know, strangle each other by the end of the first semester we went to college. But, but you know what? I, I reconnected with him a few years ago. And you know, he gave his heart to the Lord. And, and, and if I sat up here and read you some of the emails he sent to me, you would see God's power to change people. I mean, I sent him an email recently apologizing for certain things I had done when we were growing up that, that may have contributed to the tension in our relationship. And he sent me back this email. It, you know what? This email was so touching, I was moved to tears. He basically said, Mark, look. He said, you don't owe me an apology for anything. It's I who owe you an apology my alcoholism was a hindrance to our friendship. And he went through and he unpacked this whole diatribe on how it was really him. And he said, and I just pray that you'd forgive me. Just keep praying for me because I want God's power in my life. And friends, I'm here to tell you, if, if God can change my friend, he can change us. That's the kind of power we need in our lives. I had another friend who, um, who was a basketball player growing up and he... You know, the, the town I grew up in was a basketball town. I mean, they, the, the whole town centered around the high school basketball team. And I mean, in fact, they worshiped the god of basketball in this town. That's how bad it was. I mean, and everybody, every guy who grew up in, in that town wanted to be on the basketball team because that was the ticket to popularity. That's the kind of environment I grew up in. And they had one guy that, that I'm mentioning to you right now who was, uh, a, you know, was an all-state basketball player. They won the state championship. He was very popular. Everybody in this town worshiped this guy. And I lost track of him after college, and, and just recently I was able to find him on Facebook, okay? And, uh, and, you know, this was, you know, 20 years ago or so when we were in high school, all right? And, and what's interesting is, is Facebook has one of these little chat boxes. You know how you can get down there and chat if people are online with you, right? And he gets on there, and he says, hey, Mark, how you doing? And I said, hey, how are you? And, and he said, what have you been up to? And I said, well, and I didn't mention the denomination, I promise, But I said, I'm a pastor in North Carolina. I pastor a 350-member church. And um, my wife and I and our family live here, and and life has been, God's been very good to us. And you know, there was this long pause. Okay, he didn't answer right back. And the Lord impressed me. He's going to your profile. (laughs) You know, you know, you know how you have that profile page where you list your education and, and all that stuff? And, and then he jumps back on and he says, Mark, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? And he said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian now too. I couldn't believe it. And I, and I, and I typed in there, I said, excuse me? You know, you know, can you imagine me trying to type that slang in? You know, I'm like, come again? I repeat, are you kidding me? I think, I think what I said was, are you kidding me? And he said, yes, I was baptized four years ago down in Orlando. And then he said to me, Mark, how are we going to reach our friends? with our message. And I said, man, if my friend who was worshipped as a basketball star and, and, and just brought up in this whole peer group of worshipping that idolatrous lifestyle, if God can reach out and pluck him out of that, man, God can reach anybody. But that's the power of God, friends. And that's the kind of power we need in our lives. We need victory in our lives, but we need to realize if we choose to respond to God, God will allow us to do it because he can change anyone. 
And I hope tonight that as you look at your life, that you don't get too discouraged, though, at your failures. Because we have failed a lot in our Christian experience at times, haven't we? And our brother back here talked about Philippians 1.6. You know, he that hath begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it, will continue to perform it, depending on the translation you look at, until the day of Jesus Christ. God has started a work in us. And he wants to finish that work, but he wants us to choose to allow him to finish it. And so if we have failed at times, we need not get discouraged. We need to to man up and woman up, if you will, and say, Lord, look, I have failed in the past, but I'm not going to talk defeat. I'm going to talk victory. I want you to help me to conquer these things that have held me slave as a slave and a captive for so long. Jesus came to liberate the captives and open the prison house to them that are bound. And he did. And he came to do that through the power of the spirit of God. A supernatural power that is above all principalities and powers. And if we surrender to that, we're going to have the same power that Jesus had when he walked this earth. And so let us refocus our minds and say, Lord, I'm not going to allow the devil to discourage me. I'm going to retrain my thinking to think victory and not defeat. But I want to encourage you. You know, it's amazing how there are times when we do get discouraged and God sends us signs that he's still working with us. I'll never forget it. A few weeks ago, I was, I was really discouraged one morning, and I was out walking. We live in a little subdivision in Conover, North Carolina, and it's a, kind of a quiet neighborhood, surrounded by cow pastures and woods and everything, so it's kind of secluded. And we live on a half acre there. We have a, a home on that half acre. And, and there's like a big circle uh, road in, in this subdivision, and it's about almost a half mile around. So usually what I'll do is I'll get up in the morning, and I'll walk around and, and get some exercise, and I'll use that as my prayer time. And this, this particular morning, I was really discouraged. And I was like, God, you know, uh, I've failed so much. You know, I, I, I've compromised so much. When I first came in to Jesus and into the Bible message uh, uh, that you've given me, I, I was so convicted of certain standards. And, and, and over the years, I've compromised. My spiritual borders have shrunk in some ways. And, 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 and I don't feel the power of God like I used to. Are you still with me? And there have been many times in my life when I've experienced that uh, since I've been a Christian. But this particular morning, I was, I was asking God for a sign. And did you know, as I came up one turn around this neighborhood, there was a double rainbow. Have you ever seen a double rainbow? Oh, man, what a sight to behold. I mean, it was almost like, God, I need a sign. And boom, right there, a double rainbow. And one of them was crisp. It was almost like I could reach out and touch it. And the other one was a little bit faded, the one on the inside. And it was so magnificent that I sprinted down to my house and I said, Sarah, get the kids. Come on out here. You got to see this. And so my wife, and this is early in the morning, my wife gets out of bed. She comes out, you know, kids, come here. Dad wants us. And they're all, they're all out on the porch, right? And, and, and I said, kids, look at that. And they looked at this rainbow and they're sitting there just standing spellbound. And then one of my kids goes, Noah. Noah, you know, and I was like, praise God, they remember the Noah story, amen, right? But you know what, when I came in and I, and I sat down in my quiet time, you know, the Lord impressed me. Remember this morning I was talking about God working through the thoughts, you know, and the impressions in the mind, and the Lord said, there's a sign, I'm still working with you, but you've got to learn to retrain your mind to think victory, because you've, you've conditioned yourself to fail in many ways. But if you will trust in me and choose, I will help you to conquer those things that cause you to fall.
And friends, every one of us tonight, if you, if you look in your own heart tonight, you know the areas that you need work in. You don't need me to tell you, and I don't even want to know. Because as a pastor, I get enough with my own congregation, amen? I mean, I have to clean up a lot of messes, but uh, that just comes with the territory. I mean, we're called to, to help minister to souls, and sometimes we have to get our hands dirty, so to speak, and deal with some pretty serious situations in the church. Because let's face it, the church isn't perfect. There are sinners in the church. And, 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 and sinners need to be there so that they can get help. You know, but, but in your life right now, you know the things that you're struggling with. And I want to encourage you that Jesus will help put that enmity within you. He will help take you to the next level. All you've got to do is make a decision. And the fullness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection will be yours. All we have to do is decide. One step at a time. Don't let your whole life overwhelm you. Just pick one thing. And say, God, if I can conquer this one thing, then you can help me. And that can start a train of victories. You know, my wife and I as parents, we, I'm telling you, we, we really, you know, we've read all the red books, if you will, on child rearing. We were experts, you know, we had all that head knowledge. And then we had our children and we're like, whoa, what are we doing? And, we, and we've really had to learn on the job. And, and, and there are times, and, I, and I'll, I'll just confess to you, there are times we get very impatient with our children. We expect them to be like us. And sometimes our expectations are unreasonable because they're not at that capacity yet. They're still little. And, and there are times when we get impatient and even raise our voices at them. And, and one day my wife and I said, you know what? Enough is enough. We're not going to do this. Let's make a decision right now. Just one choice. To not raise our voice and to be patient with our children. Let's start here. And then by the grace of God, that will start a chain of victories. And we're improving. God is helping us. But there are many areas that we could deal with, I'm sure, tonight. But friends, by and large, in closing, I want to tell you that God's first promise guarantees that He will put enmity within us, a hatred for sin, And if we choose to allow Jesus to have control, He will help us as we grow to get victory in the areas that we need it so that we can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And I pray by the grace of God tonight that each and every one of us will understand God's first promise and make it a reality in our lives. Because God, as Peter said, wants to give us His divine nature and help us to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, through these exceeding and precious promises. How many of you want to say with me tonight by raising a hand, I want to have that power and that victory in my life in the areas I need it. God bless you abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Let us kneel and we will pray together. Heavenly Father, tonight as we kneel before you in closing this meeting, as we look at our own lives, we see the areas that we need divine help in. So Lord, I pray tonight that as we pray to you in closing, that we will surrender those things to you and that we will ask you to help us have victory. Lord, please give us that divine enmity. Give us that hatred for evil that Jesus had. Take our whole hearts, Lord. Help us to relinquish complete control to you. Lord, empower us in our lives to be stronger Christians, to be a more consistent example 
so that we will reveal the character of Christ to those around us. Bless us to this end, Lord, and as we leave this place tonight, may we rejoice in the victory that Jesus will give us. And may your spirit rest upon us, Lord, as we strive to walk with thee. In Jesus' name, amen.